move into Proverbs chapter 12. And we finished up a, what I consider probably one of the best studies that we have ever taken uh, out of chapter 11 on, on a balance in your life and really getting all of the things that uh, uh, in your Christian life that God wants you to have. And we'll continue uh, as we move on through this chapter and, and really on through the uh, chapters coming up. We'll continue to see uh, how that the book of Proverbs is laid out verse by verse. And that's really how we've been kind of studying it. And I, you have seen, and I made this very clear, that these verses are built on a positive and then a negative within each verse. And to me, you know, I've always thought the reason that Proverbs is so relative to, to my life uh, and probably to anybody's life uh, is because it contains the issues of life. And uh, the issues of life are built around that one single aspect that the Proverbs is built around the negative and the positive, all in one verse. Because if you think about it, that's the way life really is. Life is positive things, and life is negative things. And uh, we have to deal with them. From the time we are, uh, can walk and we make our first conscious cho- choices uh, to the time we die, those two elements will be in everything that we do and, uh, and experience. And there's no exceptions to it. You know, and sometimes in life, and I've talked about this before, sometimes in life the negative things just happen as a course of life. You really don't have any control over them. Uh, You don't have any control if you go to work and somebody's got a cold and you get it, or the flu. We don't have any control over the weather in in this country or this state that we've got so much rain that some of your basements are flooded. Unfortunately, and God forbid, we don't have any control that if uh, while you're out of the house, something goes wrong with the electrical thing and your house catches on fire. You don't have a lot of control when you're driving down the road and you're in a hurry someplace and you're going 45 and a 25 and you get a traffic ticket. Sometimes when you go to the doctor and he comes back and he says your blood pressure is high or your cholesterol is too high or this or that, that's Many times it's because of our diet, but sometimes it's hereditary and you don't really have a choice in it, even though there are things you can do. Those things are just part of life. But it can definitely ruin your day. And then there's some things, again, that the negative things will come in our lives because we make bad choices. And we have a complete control over them, but we just choose to make bad choices. If you remember back through the book of Proverbs and you kind of formulate it into four or five things that are major things that we've learned, if there's anything that we have learned in Proverbs so far, it will be the single great concept that life is about choices. Life is about choices. And along with that, another great thing that we have learned is the fact that the Christian life is, is not very complicated. We live in a world that likes to complicate everything. And you listen to, a, go talk to a Christian therapist or a Christian psychologist or someone, if you've got issues in your life and, you know, you're struggling and you've been diagnosed with this or diagnosed with that and have all these issues in your life and you are truly a child of God, you know, you'll go and sit down with somebody and you'll come out of there and your problems will be more complicated than they ever were when you went in. The Christian life is built around two great truths and two great facts based on what we find in the book of Proverbs. God gave us the Bible, and when we follow the Bible, life turns out to be positive. God gave us the Bible, and when we don't follow the Bible, life turns to be negative. It's just that simple. It isn't any more complicated than that. When you want to boil your life and my life down to a a single thought, into a single thread, 
you want to realize that God gave us the Word of God so we would have the positive in life. And when the world takes the Bible from us, or we give it up through our own choosing, then the world becomes negative to us. And the Christian, based on his own free will, will simply make his choices either way. And the end result for you and for me will be a negative one or a positive one. And uh, we've seen it all through Proverbs, the importance of a New Testament local church. God's simple structure for our lives. The church is here for many reasons. One of the reasons the church is here is to keep your life simple, is to keep your life to the point where it doesn't get complicated. I have people all the time that come in with horrendous issues that to them look very, very, very complicated. But to somebody who knows the Bible, knows the issues, and knows the simple format of the Bible, I've never met, uh, I've never, I've never got into an issue with somebody unless it was way off into the demonic side of things. But in just your garden variety of problems of life, I've never found a situation that could not be dealt with if you just simply began to put some things in your life on a positive side instead of a negative side. But it's the choices we make. Some choices we make, very frankly, they're reversible. And that's really where you young kids got to really watch what you're doing. Because some of the choices you make in your life at an early age, yeah, you can reverse them. But I want to tell you something. I've seen people that made bad choices in life that get to the point where those choices are irreversible. You can't turn them around. Or if you have to turn them around, they're incredibly hard to turn around. And that's just where we're at based on the choices that, that we have to make. There's a TV commercial on television um, uh, on one of the channels, and I see it all the time. And it's a great illustration of man and his choices in life. His thinking process and how he looks at things and, and then evaluates things as priorities in his life. Now, this commercial is completely in a worldly sense. But it's a great biblical truth that they just kind of stole from the Bible. And it's about a company that is selling the idea of learning a foreign language. Now, let me just say, learning a foreign language is a great thing. Uh, America is way behind the rest of the world on that one. Most teenagers in most other countries in Europe or South America, by the time they graduate, they're fluid in two or three different languages. It's a really a good thing. But the commercial starts out by saying this. Will a big screen TV get you ahead in life? Will a new pair of shoes make you a better person? And of course, the answer to that is no, it won't. But then they come in and they say, well, how about learning another language? Because that will really make a difference in your life. And it's a great commercial because it shows us the choices that we make. A brand new 55-inch TV won't make you a better person. A new pair of shoes will not make you a better person. But another language, learning another language on a value scale 1 to 10 is a 10. Because it forces you to step out of your culture and learn things differently. But in a spiritual sense... A big TV and a new car or new shoes or material possessions, things will not make you better or get you ahead either, will they? But I'll tell you what will, learning the Bible. The Bible's another language that only God speaks. Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. 
You don't just sit down and open up the Bible and figure out who God is. That Bible is another language, and I'm not talking in any way, shape, or form about Greek and Hebrew, not in a sense at all. I'm talking about the Bible that God gave you in your own language. The Bible itself is its own form of a language. You know, it takes time. It ta- and I'll just give this to you parents who have young kids. You know, when you get 30 or 40 years of age and you want to learn another language, it's really hard. I mean, you want to learn Spanish or you want to learn French or you want to learn German and you're 30 or 40 years old. It's really tough. It's really hard. And you take a, but you take a, you take a, a baby and put him in a bilingual family and let him grow up in a family where they're speaking two different languages, I won't tell you something. By the time that kid is two or three or four years old, he'll speak both languages perfectly. Now, that's a great lesson in life when it talks about training up your children. Hey, you start speaking the biblical language in your family with your children while they're little, they will naturally pick it up and grow up with it just like somebody learning another actual language. You wait till they're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, or 20 for them to try to learn the biblical language? It's going to be tough for them. Now, that little nugget is just for you today. You can take that home with you. Bible Bible, uh, is its own language, and learning that language will make you a better person over all the junk that we buy in life. But you see, it's by our own choice, our own choosing. Most of you probably don't know. Anybody know who Charles Jones was? Anybody ever meet his wife, Clarence Jones? Charles Jones, maybe you know him by his, his nickname, Charles Tremendous Jones. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Okay, well, then I'm not even going to use this illustration. Charles Jones was a tremendous motivation speaker. Incredible. And the reason why you don't know who he was, he's dead now. He died in 2008. But in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, he was a phenomenal speaker at motivating people. Big corporations would bring him in, and he was a lot like a Paul Harvey. Only I don't think that he was saved. Uh, But he was a lot like a Paul Harvey in the sense that he had just good common sense one-liners that would just lift up and motivate and put a whole corporation and its executives or its people or its workers or any organization. It would uplift them and give them clear direction. Now, I got to tell you, most of the stuff that he had, even though as far as I could find out, he was never saved, but I got to tell you, most of the principles that he said and things that he said, he just, somebody stole them from the Bible. I mean, he was a great motivational speaker. And he, I, I, I have a list of, of his quotes, and I would listen to him, and boy, I would just write down, because I don't care how many times I've taken what he said to a secular corporate uh, group of people, and boy, you can put them right into a church with Christians because it's all biblical principles just applied in a secular world. He said one time that nobody is a failure in life. Nobody will ever fail in life until you begin to blame somebody else for your failures. Now, that's deep. That's the book of Proverbs. He also said one time, if you can't be happy where you're at, it's a sense you'll never be happy 
where you're not yet at in life. That's Philippians 4.11. He also said things don't go wrong in our lives to break us and make us give up and become bitter. But things go wrong in our life to build us up. You know, you can be all that you intended to be through the adversity that you went through. That's Romans 8.28. And he said one time, you will be five years from today. He said, you will be five years from today exactly who you are except for, one, the books that you read and the people that you meet. Now, he said that back in the 70s. Oh, I remember all the preachers jumped on that because they wanted intellect, you know. They wanted the mindset of intellect. And to them, reading developed intellect. And they all wanted to be known as intellectuals. Oh, I heard that uh, from every pulpit. I mean, guys were talking about that. You will be exactly five years from today what you are except for the books you read and the people you meet. I always took that and, and changed it a little bit. Because I think, personally, you will be five years from today exactly what you are except for the book that you read and the person that you build a relationship with. He was a great speaker on motivation. And in a church service or in a Christian's life, as he goes to church, you will be exactly five years from today what you are by the book that you read and the people and the person that you build a relationship with. And I agree with him. Another thing that he said, he said that leaders are readers. That's very true. So with that introduction into chapter 12 of the book of Proverbs, now let's look at our first set of verses here, be verses 1 and 2. And uh, let's have some fun today with, with the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do love you. And these are good people here today, and they've come out to hear the word of God. And, Lord, I must confess that if they're dependent on me to give them something, they're, they're in bad shape today. It has to come from you, the Holy Spirit of God, as you just use this unworthy vessel uh, as an instrument and open up that great book and by your spirit spread the word of God into the hearts and the minds of these good people today. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. Now, you know, there's a number of ways that you can study the Bible. And, uh, but in, in all of that, one of the absolute importances uh, of studying the Bible is word studies in the word of God. Now, I'm not talking about going over and getting vines, a study of Greek and Hebrew words. That's worthless. Studying the Greek to get word studies is just a waste of time. You're better off to watch Daffy Duck and Mickey Mouse. You'll learn something there. If God wanted you, God gave you a Bible in English. So if you want to study words, study words in English in the language that he gave it to you. It's just that simple. It's not complicated. Uh, but, But the older you get and the older you grow in the Lord, you're going to find the deeper that your word studies get. And God will reveal many things through those. Word studies are in the Bible are like on a scale from 1 to 10. Your number one scale words would be study the word love or the word faith or the word grace. 
Up in the range of number 10, the word studies would be words like rain, a whirlwind, a beguile, translate or translation, tremendous word study, thunder, lightning. Now, those are the ones that are on the high-end scale, boy, when you have to get into some deep things in the Bible, but, boy, they contain tremendous truths. And we have seen as we've come through the book of Proverbs that Proverbs is built around key words. I've given them to you almost every week as we come through. And the key word we will uh, look at today, and it'll be a great study, is the word instruction. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. To be instructed in some things about God and his Bible. Now, I think the word instruction is an interesting word. Because it's instruction. In other words, inner structure. And when you take instruction from somebody, it builds inner structure in your life. And not only in a secular world, but in a Christian world. And in a Christian world, in a Christian life, instruction is a very important word. It builds our inner structure. And it has four aspects to it as you uh, look at it in the Bible, as God uh, gives it to us. Three are positive and one is negative. There'll be people who will receive instruction. That means you take, and that word is a great word to study in itself, the word receive, boy. That's a good word. You'll find those who will not only receive it, but then they'll apply it. You know, I heard all my life growing up that reading the Bible will solve your problems. You know that's not true? Reading your Bibles will not solve your problems, but applying what you read in your life will solve your problems. You got people all day long that read the Bible, they can't figure anything out. It's when you take what you receive instructions and then you apply it to your particular issue. And then the third thing is to retain the instruction. That's to keep them. Lay hold on it. Not let it go. Thursday night, we talked about biblical principles and how important they are in your life. And and retaining instruction means you continue with it. You keep it going in your life. Or the fourth thing, and this is a negative, you can reject instruction. You can despise instruction. You can hate instruction. And yet you can go to church every Sunday and be there every Sunday morning. The book of Proverbs, as it is throughout the Bible, instruction is a key word and it's very important. While we don't go through the first 13 verses of Proverbs and we see it, Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instructions of a father. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear ye children the instructions of a father. Proverbs 4.12 says, Take fast hold of instruction, let her not go. Proverbs 8.33 says, hearing instruction will make you wise. (laughs) Proverbs 9.9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he'll become wiser. We're in 12.1 today and it says, whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge. Proverbs 13.1 says, a wise son heareth his father's instructions. Now, we jump over into the New Testament on that word to study it. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work. Now, you look at that word in verse 17 there. It says, a truly furnished. All the new other new Bibles that come out say thoroughly 
It's truly here, not thoroughly. It's never been thoroughly in Bible doctrine. It's truly because the instruction, instruction goes inside you and furnishes you with the things that you need through God's instruction to be the perfect minister that God wants you to be according to his will. And that's why the verse says, if you love instructions, you'll love knowledge. You'll love to learn. But that, that's, uh, but, but did you see that? It says, but he that, uh, he that hateth reproof is brutish. You cannot separate in your Christian life and my Christian life, we cannot separate learning instructions by reproof. Now, most people want to learn, but they don't want to be reproved. Why is it why a lot of people won't go to a good Bible preaching church or a Bible teaching church? It's because they don't want to hear any reproof of where they're at in life. And, uh, you know, there's some, when you get perfected through the instructions in righteousness, there has to be a reproving that goes along with that instruction. And, you know, as you grew up as a child, you learned the things you learned in the instructions from your parents many times by the reproof that you had to get from them. And there's no difference in the Word of God. You'll never, never get the instructions of God without the reproof of God because instruction will come through reproof. Did you ever notice back in the Old Testament, and boy, this is another key word uh, of the study in your Bible, it's the word threshing floor. And I'm going to tell you, wherever you find the word threshing floor in the Bible, the key to it, doctrinally, is going to be the second coming of Christ. Second coming of Christ is likened to a threshing floor when God comes back. But let's put that aside. Let's talk about it in its practical application. A threshing floor was where a farmer, when he cut down the wheat and brought the sheaves of wheat in, he wanted to get the grain out of the wheat. The grain was very valuable, but the grain would never reach its full potential of value as long as it was in the sheaf because it was connected with the chaff. The wheat, grains of wheat were valuable. The chaff was worthless. So what he did is he brought it into the threshing floor and it does exactly what the word said. They put it on the floor and they beat the fire out of it. They threshed it. They hit it. And through the constant pounding and beating of the threshing, you know what happened? The chaff got separated from the wheat. And then the farmer could take what was valuable in the, the wheat and separate it from the chaff. And you know what? We all got some chaff in our life. We all got some things in our life that is in the, mixed up with the good things in our life. And the only way you get rid of the chaff is to go through a reproving process. You got to go through the threshing floor. The tough times that we go through in life that you think are so defeating, because you don't have the positive principles of the Word of God, they defeat you. Those things that are negative in your life, the Bible says that in God there is no darkness at all. Even the, the, the light and the dark are the same to him. There's no negative with God. The negative things in your life and my life are there to bring forth the value that's in us. And when you don't see it that way and you don't understand it that way, you go to church and you say, well, I ain't going back to that church. He just stepped all over my toes. Well, maybe you needed to have your toes stepped on. 
Maybe inside you, God sees a lot of value, but the chaff is keeping it from getting anywhere in your life. And we have to be thoroughly sometimes reproved to bring forth all of those things. And we look at we look at adversity that we go through as, as shackles that, that stop us. Only when you look at it through a negative aspect. Daniel chapter 3. What a great example that is of the adversity we go through in life and the purging. We know that fire purges. Uh, we know that, that all of those things uh, that we go through are a part of a purging process. And you remember the story in Daniel chapter 3 with the three Hebrew children? Nebuchadnezzar is enraged because they won't worship him. And he gets so upset and he goes down and he tells the guys, you make that furnace seven times hotter. And he goes down there and they, they, they bind those Hebrew children and they bind them and they, they open that door and it's so hot it kills the guys that open the door. So they get another group of guys, they take those Hebrew children who were bound and they throw them in that fire. That's a picture of the world thinking that it's through the adversity, it's going to bind you and keep you from ever being what God wants you to be. And old Nebuchadnezzar finally goes down and opens up that door and looks in there and he says, whoa, he says, we threw three in but there's four in there now. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. But the best part of that whole thing was, when he looked inside there, he says, I see four men loosed. You know all that fire did? That adversity? You know all that fire did to those Hebrew children? It didn't affect them. It didn't touch them. It didn't burn them. It just burned off the shackles of the bondage that the world put on them. That's what he wants to do through the adversity in your life. When you look at it from a positive standpoint. Did you ever notice this? And everything in life you buy, you get a set of instructions. Did you ever notice that? I brought some today. It's amazing. It's amazing. You buy a car, you get an owner's manual. You buy a phone, you get two. (laughs) You get a quick start, that'll get you going. And then you get one that's all the health and safety warnings, how that after you use your phone for four or five years, you get brain cancer and you die. (laughs) Tremendous. And each one goes through great detail. It starts out by saying, to make a call, turn on phone. Now, I'll tell you, if you got to know you got to turn on the phone before you make a call, you don't need a phone. Just get a can with a string between the two. If you're that dumb that you got to have directions that say, turn the phone on, you're in trouble. But it goes through everything. Send a text, multimedia message. Change the ringtone. Shop for ringtones. Take and send a picture. Access mobile web. Securing your device. Frequently used status icons. Oh, on and on it goes. So you buy a phone, you get one. 
A while back, I bought a lawnmower. Here it is. It's incredible. When I first opened it up, I thought, I got the wrong one. This is in Spanish. (laughs) And I started to read it. And then, whoever does this, they think we're stupid. They really do. They think that we're so inept and dumb that we can't figure things out. So when I started reading it, the Spanish is this way, but when you finally get to the English, you got to turn it upside down, and the English is that way. Now, now if you got to know that there's a difference that you can't read one by the other by turning it upside down, you don't need a lawnmower. You know how I know that that's not for me? I don't figure out any words in it. I don't have to have the Spanish right up and the English upside down so when I get to it, I recognize this is another language. Incredible. Ryan, here's the grill. Mike Stone. Mike Stone, here's the grill. Memorial Day. I bought a grill. And I really didn't use the grill. I didn't need the grill. I needed an illustration. And you guys didn't even know it. But I needed the instructions. And look at these puppies, man, for a grill. Now, I paid $40 for that grill. This instruction probably cost $10,000 to lay out by design. It's incredible. And I, I, I stood back and I watched those guys put the grill together. I snow over there and snagged these. <clears throat> Table of contents. Important safeguards. Expanded view and hardware. Assembly instructions. Operating instructions. First use. Lighting instructions. Controlling flare-ups. Some of you ladies that have cut that out and give it to your husband. <clears throat> Cleaning and care. Prog-up resignation. Uh, uh, when you sign up for it, whatever that word is. Replacement parts, limited warranty. I'll tell you. And, you know, I was going through them. And i tell you. Did you ever really look at any set of instructions for anything? It all does three things. One, it'll show you an overview of what you just bought. Two, then... The instructions will number or define each part. It'll show you this is the axle, this is the wheel nut, this is the wheel nut wrench, this is the rubber bushing, this is a support strut, this is a hinge, this is a handle. And then it'll take you through a step-by-step process to put it together that it'll be absolutely perfect by the instructions that you got with no parts left over. Now, did you ever see the similarity to the Bible as God's instructions to you and to me? You see, when God made you and made me, he gave us an owner's manual. And if you want to find out how to have a positive in life, you got to stay with the instructions that the guy who made you gave us. And it's the same thing. The first thing you need to do about learning the Bible, same thing in there. Get an overview of the Bible. See the whole big picture of the Bible. I've done that for you I don't know how many times. 
Then the second thing you want to do is you want to begin to define each part. You want to be able to look at each part of that Bible, define it, understand it, see what it does. And then you're going to go through a step-by-step process Sunday morning, Thursday night, discipleship one, discipleship two, how to study the Bible, whatever the case may be, to put it all together. Now, you see how that works? In these instructions, it says there's things that are dangerous. In these instructions, it says things that you need to be cautious of. In these instructions, it says warning. And in these instructions, it says there's some things that are dangerous for you. In these instructions, it says, caution in some things and gives you some warnings. But they're the same. And for you to be everything that God wants you to be, you have to have the instructions. I have people come in all the time that have marital problems. And I know when they come in and they're going through their marital problems, to them, it's a a very complicated and a very hard thing because they're right in the middle of it. I get it. And I'm I'm always sensitive to that. But I'm sitting there listening to he says, she says, and I'm listening going back and forth, and I'll just go on, and I got a watt clock up there where I can kind of time it, and I just kind of let them go on and get it out of their system because they need to. And then I bring it around and I tell them this. You know what? I know your problem looks complicated, but it's really not. Here's the deal. You're both Christians. Yes, we are. You're both saved. I am. I am. Okay. Marriage is something that God designed. It's not something that man designed. It wasn't born with cavemen. It wasn't born back in the pit-down period where the Java man was chasing women around with a big club, much like they do in Westport. It it wasn't by man's design. Marriage is by God's design. The first marriage is found in the Bible, and what God did is he wrote the marriage manual in the Bible. Now, I always use this simple little instruction. If I come home and my wife says the dishwasher's broke, and I say, well, before we pay somebody to come out, service call and all of that, let's look at the manual. So we go through, our, which everybody has, 10 feet high, stock of every manual that you ever had on anything. You can't find it. So I finally say, well, you know what? I found the one to the grill. <laughs> now, how realistic is it for me to fix the dishwasher that's broke with the instructions for the grill. Well, how stupid is it you to try to fix your broken marriage without the handbook and the instructions that God gave you for marriage? See where you get into the problem? Training up your children. God gave you a set of instructions for training up your children. Five stages of spiritual growth to raise up that child. Train him up. Follow the instructions, positive. Don't follow them, it's negative. Last week, I talked about soul winning. I gave you eight instructions on soul winning. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Building a church or building people. You just follow the instructions. Listen, there's an exact set of instructions for building people in the Bible. You bring them through seven stages. Building a church, there's an exact set of instructions how you build a church. There's five stages the church has to go through, and you got to know where those stages are, and you got to be able to follow the instructions. And when God put you and me together, made us, created us, gave us a plan for us to follow, for us, the instructions of life to get all of it put together right, 
and he gave us a set of instructions to follow. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that they're called instructions of righteousness. You get into the book of, of, of you want to say, well, I want to know what the church is supposed to believe. Where's the instructions for the church? Book of Romans. Well, I want to learn how to do the ministry right. Well, before you learn how to do the ministry right, learn how not to do it wrong. That's 1 Corinthians. You want to learn to do it right? That's the instructions of 2 Corinthians. Well, I want to get the instructions on the end time. That'll be Revelation and half the Old Testament. And you and I will do one of two things. In our Christian life, when it comes to the Word of God being the instructions and life being negative and positive and being so completely uncomplicated, you and I will either do one of two things. We'll either follow the instructions and have a positive life or we'll not follow the instructions and have a negative life. See how easy that is? It's all built around one word, structure, instruction, inner structure, building you from the inside out, truly furnished, as the Bible says. Now, I've observed over the years in watching people follow instructions or not follow instructions, I've learned some things. And I've learned that when it comes to instructions, there's three kinds of people. And this is absolutely true. It's true in the worldly things, but it's also absolutely true in spiritual things when it comes to follow instructions. You know, I've learned, and it's true, and you ought to learn it. Whatever your biggest problem is before you got saved, it's going to be your biggest problem after you get saved. And the only way you're going to get around that is through instructions and reproof. Now, first of all, you have people who think they don't need any instructions. They're smarter than the instructions. That came with chosen how to put it together. Huh. No man in Japan's gonna write those down for me. I'm an American. See? I don't need those things. You know, in my years in the ministry, I've seen the same thing with young men and young ladies in the Bible, moms and dads. They get a little Bible under their belt and suddenly they think they know more about the Bible than the pastor does or anybody else does. And uh, they develop what becomes as an unteachable attitude. They can't teach them anything. They know more about it than anybody. Now, do you realize that churches, uh, Christians need a structure of instruction to build uh, their lives on? They do. Why, why? Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And he knew he needed it. 12-1, seven times before we get to the 13th chapter. Are you smarter than he is? The idea, uh, uh, you, you, you know how, you know it all. And don't need any instructions will get you in trouble every time. Hey, I've been, I've been, I've been in this Bible since 1972. That's before most of you were born. And uh, the greatest thing that I've learned from the Bible is how much I don't know about the Bible. And all the things that I have learned, if I've learned anything, it's only brought me to a place that I know that I don't know nothing compared to what's in there. My life, there never a time that I don't need good instruction because it's the key. And I've learned this. There's no experts. There's no experts in life. There's no experts in the Bible. All you have in the Bible are no experts. You just have students on different levels of learning. And you have to get instructions. You have to love instruction to love learning. And uh, it's just the way that it goes. And in, my, in verse 2 it says, But he that hateth reproof is brutish, like a brute beast. We call it like a bull in a china shop. 
And the issue is undisciplined pride. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you say or what the Bible says. I have no use for your instructions unless it fits my plan that I want to do. And, of course, that gets you in a lot of trouble. Uh, leadership is, is a great thing. But one of the things that you learn about being a great leader is a great leader is only a great leader if he learns to be a great follower. Now, some people never get that. In 40 years of ministry and 40 years of dealing with people in the Bible, I've never saw anybody that took that position that ever got anywhere in life. They failed. Then you have the second kind of person. Now you have the guy who, uh, uh, it's a, he's in too big of a hurry. He just wants to get it done. He just jumps in and as long as it works, as long as it looks okay, he doesn't care about how many extra parts he has left over. He's totally irresponsible. It's all fun and games, never takes much seriously. And in the Bible, there has to be an exactness. Only one way to put it together. Lots of aspects of studying it, but it only goes together one way. And 99% of the Bible teachers try to put the Bible together, uh, uh, and because it's, they're not exact, they got 20 verses left over that they don't know what to do with that goes against what they just taught. I always tell you that you either rightly divide the word of truth or you wrongly divide it. And whatever you teach in the Bible, when you're done, there better be nothing left over that you've got to snip off to make your point. That's stupidity through pride. That's pretending you know the Bible when you don't. I, I get a lot of calls, a lot of, lot of phone calls from people all week who don't go to our church. And uh, they're, they're people who just, they, got it. They, they don't like the Bible. They know we believe the Bible. So they're always looking for things to call me up on the phone. And, and I just don't really have a lot of time for them. I, you know, it's one of those things where I just... If I'm in a good mood, I'll play with them a little while. If I'm in a bad mood, they get shut off faster than they know what hit them. But I had a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he found, he found the proof now that the King James Bible could not be the absolute word of God. And he said, I, and I love the way they all start. Well, I finally found something that, that, uh, that disproves what you believe. Well, big deal. What's that got to do with anything? Well, he says, well, you know what? He says, I found uh, uh, two passages that, that show that the Bible uh, really uh, isn't inerrant and it's not perfect. And I say, Okay, fine, congratulations. He said, yeah, I found a place in the Old Testament and then a place in the New Testament where they quote the place in the Old Testament and the words don't match up. Oh, so what do you want me to do? Do a fan dance or something? What what do you want? I said, you know what, kid? I worked through that problem the first three years I was saved. The answer to that is so easy and so unbelievably uh, easy to get and grasp that I don't even know why you're wasting time. He says, well, what's the answer? I said, I'm not telling you. He says, why not? I said, because the Bible says, cast not your pearls before the swine. That's why. You don't care about learning the Bible. Your whole life you spend to try to prove that it's wrong. I'm not giving you anything. And I'll tell you this. Whoever told you God ever owed you an answer? God doesn't owe you an answer. Well, I'm not going to go to church until I get that. Then you'll never get to church. Amen. Well, I'm just not going to believe God until I see that. Then you're never going to believe in God. God doesn't owe you an answer. He doesn't owe me an answer. By his grace, he'll give us lots of answers. Amen. But he doesn't owe you nothing. Amen. Had a guy one time, he said, well, I ain't going to church so you can, until I get an answer. And I said, you know what? Then you'll scream your lungs out in the lake of fire looking for an answer. How's that work for you? 
Proverbs 26 says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Some of those guys, you just, you just, and I've watched young Christians. They get so, so, oh, oh, how am I going to answer this? Oh, he, he, oh, 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 here's somebody who he's put me something. He's asking, hey, oh, forget it, man. Go get you a, McDonald's has got a, a third of a pound burger with lettuce and tomato. It's the greatest thing you ever had. Go get one of them. Had a guy one time. You just wanted to believe. And people are crazy today. They just want to believe what they want to believe about the Bible. They care nothing about instruction. They care nothing about being exact. This guy one time, he just wanted to believe that the great whore of Revelation 7 and 18 wasn't Rome, but was the Jews in Jerusalem. I mean, they just want to believe what they want to believe. Somebody gave me a tape in one of his Bible studies when he laid it all out. It was the most screwed up, messed up thing I ever heard in my life. When that guy was done, he had 35 or 40 verses in the Bible that proved him an idiot when it comes to Bible exegesis. That means teaching the Bible. And he just pretended that they weren't there. No, I'll give him a little defense and go to his defense. He's not the smartest person in the world when it comes to the Bible to start with. But listen. You may get away with flying by the seat of your pants when it comes about putting your lawnmower together. You'll never get there by flying by the seat of your pants when it comes to that book. Then you got the third guy. This guy is absolutely meticulous when it comes to every detail of the instruction sheet. He separates all the pieces before him, before he ever starts. He gets all the tools that he needs before he ever starts. He reads the instructions through two or three times to get familiar with them. He's very careful and goes through a familiarization with the parts and the tools, each step by step through the instructions. He may think that he doesn't need the instructions. He may say, I've done this before, but experience has told him, stay with the instructions. He takes his time. He doesn't get in a hurry. He, he looks and watches for all the key parts. He makes sure when it comes to the Bible that his trail of doctrine connects to form your teaching with nothing left over. He just doesn't run in and grab something and say, oh, look at what I got, and then teach it. This guy is precise. He's exact. And when he's done, he's nothing left over because it all goes together exactly as it lays out in the instructions. And he has a chain of biblical evidence that builds his case. And he follows a plan based on those instructions in righteousness that he's gotten. He compares scripture with scripture. That old boy back when that I was telling you about, about the revelation, he was in his Bible study. And when he felt like maybe he was on thin ice... And there were some people out there maybe that were starting with, they always do this. He threw in, and I won't tell you who it was, he threw in a great Bible teacher that he knew, and he said, well, I ran this by brother so-and-so, and he agrees with me that I was absolutely right. Let me tell you something. If I believe the Bible teaches something, I don't need to run it through anybody. If it teaches truth, then it's truth. 
The very fact that you stand there and say, I ran this through somebody else so I know it's true, only shows me you're not sure it's true yourself. When you got to name drop some big guy to show everybody you're right, you're not sure yourself. In the Bible, when it comes to anything, it is truth. It's truth. If it's right, it's right. When it comes to God, the Bible, your life, or your own personal walk with God, or building people, or building a church, you might think you know all about it, but boy, your dreams turn to nightmares and disappointments real quick because you just won't follow the instructions or the instructor that God gives you. You're like a model car or a model ship or a model plane. Lots of parts that need to be taken out and glued together to make it look like the picture on the front of the box. Instructions, inner structure, that word will make or break us as Christians. And boy, I have seen this. I've seen some of God's people get saved, begin to grow, and then get to a point in their life where they just can't get over that next hump. They just hit that spot in life and they bounce back. They make a run at it and bounce back again and again and again. And they just can't get around it. And in time, they totally begin to retrograde and pretty soon they're back right where they were. And the answer is simply that you think you don't need the instructions anymore. Oh, you used them for a while. But when you got to a point, you thought, well, I'll do it now without any instructions to follow. I've seen some of God's people, on the other hand, follow the instructions in life to the letter. Like Samuel, letting none of his words fall to the ground. Like the Bible says in Matthew, every jot and tittle. And boy, I've seen you compare number one with number two. God's been saved 10, 15, 20 years, but doesn't go by the instructions. Somebody saved four or five that meticulously follows instructions. Number two is light years ahead of number one. I told you Thursday night in the Navy, in the military, that old crusty guy, the officers, the chief petty officers that's been around for 20, 30 years, they call them bookmen. Will the enlisted men want to cut it off here or wear their t-shirts out, tail shirts out, or not polish their shoes or not have a tie on or not do this or not do that right? They follow regulations by the book right down the line. And when it comes to being a child of God, it's got to be by the book. Look at verse 2. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now, if you want a good study on that, go back to Genesis 37 sometime and look at the life of Joseph and his father and his brethren, coat of many colors and the blessings. That's a great example of a man having favor with God over other men. Now, when you follow the owner's manual of life in all things, when you learn the instructions of the Father, when you get that inner structure in your life, Your life now is a positive one. And even in the midst of negative things of the world, you learn how to live above the circumstances. Because along with the instructions of the Father comes the favor of the Father. And I want to say to you folks, if you don't hear anything else that I've said this morning, you don't get anything else out of this. Nothing in the life of a Christian will beat having the favor of God in your life. That's the positive that overrides all the negative. Psalms 1 says, 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of godly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law must he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the river of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You little kids growing up, there's always a story that they tell little kids about King Midas. And King Midas was a, in a worldly sense, there's nothing more than a story stole from the Bible. I've told you many, many times, everything in this world that's bad was a good thing that's been twisted. And you know the story of King Midas. He was a greedy king, and he loved gold. And that's all he wanted was gold. And one day he got a chance to make a wish. And uh, the wish he made was that everything I would touch would turn to gold. And he got his wish. Oh, and he had a time, man. Everything, his furniture, everything was turning to gold. And he's having the greatest time in his life until his daughter came in and he touched his daughter. And that lovely, sweet, flesh and blood little girl that he held and loved so dearly turned into a statue of gold. Now, that's the world's version of it. Mom and dad, you all ought to be like King Midas. You ought to have the favor of God in your heart so much, in your life so much, through the instructions and the reproof, that for God, everything you touch turns to gold. Gold is the premier thing at the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what? When, you have, when you're the spiritual King Midas, and you're touching things to gold for God and the judgment seat of Christ, it's all right to touch your kids and have them turn into gold. Because that gold will show up at the, great, at the judgment seat of Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones. See, and the world takes it and makes it in a bad sense. Oh, we touched the daughter and she turned to gold. Every parent here ought to have that Midas touch that when you do your ministry, it's gold at the judgment seat of Christ. And your children, as you grow them up, train them up, they turn into gold. That's the positive. That overrides the negative. When you live your life by the instructions of the Father, then you have the favor of the Father. And when you forsake the instructions of the Father, verse 2, you're left with the devices of this old world that will only produce the negative. Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. And boy, is that ever true. Two kinds of Christians... One will search the scriptures all their life to find God's instructions. The other one hates the instructions and will spend all of their life formulating devices to get around the instructions, yet be in church every Sunday. <laughs> Kid me. You know, I've never understood this one thing about God's people. And I've actually seen it really too many times in my life. I've seen God's people who actually get God's favor in their life and they get to a point and they throw it away. Could never understand that. I've seen Christians who were struggling in life. Their job was terrible. Their finances was terrible. They had many pressures in their life. Seemingly couldn't get past any of it. And I've actually watched them come to church, get into the Bible, get with God, get the book, begin to take instructions and apply it and retain it. 
And I've seen a God 100% of the time turn everything in the negative life around to a positive. I've seen him giving them a really good job. Took them out of that bad job that they had. Gave them a good job with potential. Good job with advancement, promotion. I've seen them struggling in their finances. And when they got dialed into God, God gave them a significant financial increase. And gave them somewhat of a comfortable life. I watched God stabilize their world and their family. Give them the desires of their heart. Through the instructions of the Father and reproof, they got the hand of God on them and God's favor, all simply because they began to make the right choices. I've seen it. And I've also seen this. I've seen at some point they will go no farther. They take the money. They take the job. They take all that God did for them and all God gave them and simply forget who really did it all for them. They'll take everything that God gives them and give absolutely nothing back to God at that point. They leave the instructions of God, pick up their own lives their own way, and the things of God now take second place to it all and what they want to do. I've seen it. I've seen it too many times. Listen, when God puts his hand of favor on you, it's positive. But when God takes it off, it goes back to negative. And in time, they lose all that God gave them. And I have never understood why and how a child of God who had God's favor would so foolishly and so easily let it go. That's human nature at its best. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. He that hateth reproof, is brutish. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Four great aspects out of Proverbs focused on today. Life is not complicated. It's either negative or it's positive. We are today exactly who we are by the choices we have made in life based on the negative and the positive. By the book we read and the person we know or doing in our own way. The Christian life is never complicated. It's always very simple. With the positive in life comes simplicity. With the negative in life comes the complexity. And it's simply that way. You'll either take the instructions of the Father, be everything that God wants you to be, or you'll forsake the instructions of the Father, and you'll be what you want to be. Well, we'll hold up there today, and let's have a word of